Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. In 2013, the Barna organization asked a thousand adults this question. What do you think about going to church? What do you think about going to church? It was interesting. 30% said that church was very important. 40% said they were ambivalent. Take it or leave it really doesn't matter. 30% said it wasn't important at all. The ambivalence said that there were a couple primary reasons that they could really care less. One is they said they found God elsewhere, be it at home or on the lake or wherever. They could find God elsewhere. But 35% of them, one out of three of the ambivalence, said that church is not personally relevant to them. Millennials, the youngest of our adult generations, are opting out of church. And, and uh, we see that. And they're opting out for three reasons. One is the moral failure of leaders. We've all seen that. The second reason they say they're opting out of church is hypocrisy. But the third reason they say that they don't understand that church is relevant to them as individuals. They sense that God is missing from church and many of them even sense that doubt would be prohibited. When they were asked this question, what made your faith grow? Get this, church was not even in the top 10. In what made your faith grow, church did not even make the top 10. It's statistics like this that caused us as a staff and a church leadership group to to really try to discern over the last year or so who we are as a church. What has God called us to be as Eastwood? We don't want to be any other church. We simply want to be the best Eastwood that we can be. And so we've spent hundreds of man hours, and I'm not exaggerating, they're literally hundreds of man hours in openness, in honesty, in prayer, in study, in discussion. And we've come up with something that we call Next Steps. Next Steps is something that for 26 plus years I've been unwilling to embrace as a pastor. Next Steps is going to be a a few-week course that is required to be a member of Eastwood Baptist Church. Now, I've fought against having a membership requirement, but I got to look in this morning online. Do you realize that it it is more difficult to be a member of the local Rotary Club or Lions Club than it is to be a member of Eastwood Baptist Church? To be a member of the Rotary Club or the Lions Club, you are required, first of all, you're invited, but then you're required to pay your dues, you're, you're required to attend so many meetings, we won't require that, and, and because we expect nothing and ask nothing, that's what we get in return from so many people. That's why on any given Sunday, there are over 600 members of Eastwood Baptist Church that never come to church. 1,400, almost 1,500 members, any given Sunday we have 800, and why? Because we, we, we don't expect anything from membership. And so we want to be, we we tried to be thorough and we want to be clear on who we are as a church so that folks understand as they come on the front end what we embrace, what we value, what we expect. And, And by teaching this on a Sunday morning for the next few weeks, we're in essence going to say our entire church family has been through the process. We're not asking you to attend a church, a class. We're just asking you to attend worship and be exposed to the same information that they're going to receive. The title of today's message is Introduction to Eastwood. Introduction to Eastwood. Take your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Now, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and 
Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. Peter is not the rock. The rock is the confession of who Jesus Christ is. The rock that the church is built upon is the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that he is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. That's the, that's, and, and listen, you know, you've heard sports people promise victory. Some of you are old enough to remember Joe Namath. I think it was the third Super Bowl. He promised that his team was going to win. That was kind of brash, kind of out there. Well, friend, Jesus says right here that the church will win. He says, I, talking about himself, will build my church. It's not incumbent upon me or the staff or anybody else to try to build Eastwood. God says he will build his church. And that kind of sets us free to, to be able to just be what God wants us to be, knowing that it's up to him to add to the church. So today I want to answer, I want to answer two questions for you. One is, why church? And then in a minute, we're going to answer why this church, all right? But first, let's talk about why church. Well, why is it significant? Why is it important to be a member of a church? repeatedly we see the church being referred to in the sense of a family of a family ephesians 2 19 now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members get this of the household of god a family galatians 6 10 therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all especially those who are of the household of faith and so over and over again the scripture refers to the church as family there are to be no orphans among god's children no orphans the concept of a believer not being involved in a local church is a unbiblical concept we don't we don't find any of the believers in the new testament not being then connected in some form or fashion to a local group of believers I think the New Testament assumes a committed, accountable belonging as a reality for every member. I can't take you to a chapter and verse that shows membership the way we have it today, but I can tell you that over and over again, people were accountable and they were, they were a part of the local church. To be baptized is to become a part of a local church. Now, there is a church in our association that has it wrong. I don't often talk about other churches especially those of like faith. But this church baptizes more people than any church in the Kentucky Baptist Convention. But friend, they have it wrong because when they baptize you, you don't necessarily become a member of the church. I think that's an unbiblical concept. We don't let people decide what, what their personal conviction is about baptism. We let the scripture, in no other area do we allow personal convictions to determine what's right or wrong. So why let that happen in baptism? When somebody's baptized, they become a part of the church. Baptism is something that God requires the church to do, not just individuals. The individual gets baptized, the church baptizes. Now, don't put up the new mission vision yet, because I want to read to you what our, if, if you were to go to the website today, 
We've had the same mission statement for the last 12 plus years, and it served us well, all right? And I'm going to share it with you in just a minute. By the way, we have a new website that's being designed, and hopefully around February the 1st it'll be up, and you'll be able to see it, and I think you'll really enjoy the new website. But if you go to our website today, eastwoodbc.org, here's what our mission statement says currently. Eastwood is committed to making Jesus Christ known in relevant ways in order to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. There is nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's something that we still want to do. But remember, the ambivalent and the millennial said that church is irrelevant. They didn't see the relevancy for them. And so we've tried to be very, we've prayed through this, and we've tried to be very specific about what we believe God is calling us to do. And here's our new mission statement. Go ahead and put it up. To develop relationships to impact people with biblical answers to life's challenges. Now we're going to unpack that. But that's, that's what we believe that God has called us to do, to develop relationships to impact people with biblical answers to life's challenges. People need relationship. God made us that way. You know, with email and text messaging and social media, it's real easy to lose a personal touch, isn't it? I mean, for instance, I've got, adult, I got three adult children, and I don't call them when I need to communicate to them. What do I do? Text message. Why? Because they're not going to answer a call, but they'll answer a text message. That's just what they do. It's easy to lose that interpersonal relationship, but God has created us for relationship, for interaction with one another. I want to tell you the story about an, an aspiring New York rapper from Harlem and a Florida grandmother who connected through the power of words. Meet um, Spencer Slayon and 81-year-old Grandma Rosalind Gutman. They connected over the word fat. P-H-A-T. They, 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 they randomly found each other on the, the game on their phone, Words with Friends. How many of you have ever played Words with Friends? You know what I'm talking about. A lot of you have played that. It's a, it's a game that you can just randomly find a partner. And what, what became a random competition became a friendly rivalry, ultimately leading to a friendship. In the summer of 2016, they played over 300 games of Word with Friends with one another. And I want you to hear what Spencer said, because I, as I was reading it this week, I cracked up. He said, and I quote, from day one, I knew I was playing an old white woman. <laughs> and imagine his surprise when she played the word fat, P-H-A-T. He was surprised that she even knew that because that word fat spelled that way comes from 90s hip-hop music. And he thought, what in the world is an 81-year-old woman doing knowing the word Fat. Well, he went and told one of his friends, Hannah Butler, who told her mom, Amy Butler, who was a member or was a minister at the church in Harlem that he attended, and she thought it was such a great thing, and, and, and she, got the, she got the three of them together. They, Spencer and her flew down, and they met in a West Palm Beach hotel, and the three of them talked like they were old friends. And I want you to hear what Amy Butler said about that meeting. She says, we're living in a country divided by the fear of the other. People are longing for ways to connect. This story has two unlikely people becoming friends. It's very beautiful and hopeful. The mission statement, to develop. There is some intentionality there. We, we, don't, we don't think relationships just happen anymore because of, because of social media and texting and, and email. Relationship doesn't just happen. We want to intentionally develop relationships with people. Why? So that we can impact them so that we can have an influence on them. What percentage of people do you think have life challenges? What percentage of people have life challenges? 
How many of you would vote 100%? Yeah, every, you should vote that. Everybody has life's challenges. But here's what we believe. We believe that the Word of God has the answer to life's challenges. I mean, who's offering answers? There's a lot of people offering answers. Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Oprah. I mean, everybody's got an answer to life's problems. But we believe as a church family that the answers to life's challenges are found in the Word of God. And so we don't want to just develop a relationship with somebody just for the sake of having a relationship. We want to hopefully impact their life with what? Biblical answers to the challenges that they are facing because every single person faces challenges. 100%. Well, if that's our mission, what's our strategy? How are we going to accomplish that? Well, we, um, we, first of all, let me just say we are a multi-site church. Unapologetically. Today, we are one church in two locations. We have two campuses. We're going to stop at two? Who knows? The Lord knows. But, but I can tell you that we believe this is what God has called us to embrace, and that's just who we are. So we are a multi-site church that offers opportunities to do several things. One is to gather. That's what we're doing right now. We are gathering in worship. We, we believe that we are called as believers to gather in worship. Corporate worship is something that a follower of Christ will do. Acts 2. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship at the breaking of bread and prayers. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the gathering together of the saints as is the habit or manner of some. As we gather for worship, one of the things we hope to provide is biblical answers to life's challenges. When we look into the Word of God in here, we want to be able to give you something that, can, that you can take home and, and, and apply to your life and know what it means. Corporate worship is central to being a follower of Christ. But not only do we want to offer an opportunity to gather, we want to offer an opportunity to grow, to grow in your faith. And one of the ways that you do that... well. Romans 8, why should you grow? Romans 8, 29 speaks of being conformed, being made into the image of the Son. We, we are to become more and more conformed. We should reflect more and more of Jesus in our life the longer we know Him and less and less of ourselves. And the only way that happens is to grow in our faith. Too many Baptists have stopped growing in their faith. I mean, you just need to understand that. There's, a lot of, there's probably Baptists, I, I won't even say probably, There are some of you in this room who have stopped growing in your faith. If I were to invite you over to my house and you walked into my living room and found a 40-year-old child in a playpen and diapers sucking on a pacifier, you'd say something's wrong with that. And you know what? You'd be right. 40-year-old ought not be an infant. Why then do we allow people to be a member of a church for 30 or 40 years and never grow past infancy in their faith? Why is that acceptable? There should be something wrong with that. So we want to give you an opportunity to grow, and one of the best venues for that is in our small group Bible fellowship classes where you can ask questions, where you can interact with people. We third want to give you an opportunity to go. Go is the first word in Jesus' great commission. Not optional, it's a commandment. Go ye therefore. Now, whether it is to your next door neighbor, 
your Jerusalem, your Judea here in Kentucky, your Samaria somewhere in North America, or to the ends of the earth. Not everybody is called to go to the ends of the earth, but every Christian is called to go. And we want to consistently give you an opportunity to go. And the fourth thing is next, what we call next steps. Every believer is saved to serve. You don't find anybody in the New Testament that was, not, that was saved and, and not to serve. I, I don't find any believers being called to sit on the sidelines or to sit in the stands. Everyone is called to be on the playing field. If you are a believer today, you are given a spiritual gift at the moment of salvation, at least one. And you are given that spiritual gift, according to Scripture, to serve the body of Christ. That's how you're supposed to use those gifts. And so if you're not serving, then you're not fulfilling what God saved you to do. And so we want to provide opportunities for you to determine your spiritual gift, discern it, and then figure out ways to plug in and use it in the church. So why church? I think I've made a case that church is significant, but why this church? Why Eastwood Baptist Church? I want to share with you why. I'm going to make a case for why Eastwood should be the church. But then at the end, I'm just going to be honest and give you some reasons that Eastwood might not be the church for you. Everybody's welcome at Eastwood, but not everybody's called to be at Eastwood, and that's fine. I'm good with that. All right? So why this church? I want to share with you four things that we value. And then a few doctrinal distinctives that are true about Eastwood that may not be true. And they're not true about every church, all right? What do I mean by values? Values are convictions that drive why we do what we do. Why we do, as Eastwood Baptist Church, what we do is based on our values. Number one, we value the power of God's Word. We value the power of God's Word. This is absolute truth and has the power to change lives. We believe that. We value the fact of that. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can't please God without faith. Now, if it's impossible to please God without faith, that begs the question, how do we get faith? Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we value the power of God's word. It has the ability to change a person's life. Remember our mission statement? Develop relationships to impact people with biblical answers to life's challenges. Now, how do you know if a church values the power of God's word? Is it, is it proved by a par packed parking lot? Is it proved by a beautiful facility? No, because you can't trust your eyes. You have to hear what's being taught at a church to, to understand whether or not they value the power of God's word. There's a lot of preaching that's going on that's really not preaching. Chuck Swindoll says, if there's a mist behind the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. I like that. He said, what he's saying is if the pulpit's not clear from the Word of God, then there's going to be a lack of understanding in the pews. Many churches today are preaching a feel-good, live-better kind of message. A feel-good, live-better Friend, the church, pre biblical preaching from the Word of God is, I think, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. If you can come to a church and never, ever get under conviction, then that church doesn't value the power of God's Word. Because God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and listen, I can't study it personally, individually, without getting under conviction. All right? And, and so if you can listen to what's being taught and never, ever experience conviction, then that's not... They're not preaching the power of God's word. They're not valuing it. 
Secondly, we believe that we, we value life transformation, the pursuit of life transformation. We believe that if you are a Christ follower, if you're a disciple, you are going to chase after a, look, a, a, a life that looks like Jesus. Transformation, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We believe that, that transformation is a lifelong process. When you get saved, it is immediate. Boom, you're saved. You're part of the family of God. But life transformation happens over a lifetime. It's a biblical concept called sanctification. Being conformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. So we, we value the pursuit of life transformation. We live in an age of immediate results, but transformation doesn't happen immediate. Third, we value the passion of missional living. The passion of missional living. Jesus promised in John 10 that we would have abundant life. And we believe that abundant life is only found in enjoying and serving Jesus every day. That, that the way we live... Monday through Saturday ought not look any different than the way we live on Sunday. We believe in the value of missional living. And then the fourth value is the priority of authentic relationships. The key being authentic. Relationships are at the heart of God's will for the individual. He created us for relationship. I was reading on a website this week, Network World. Interesting study published in July of 2016. They, um, they recruited Android users from across the U.S. And they wanted to, they installed software on their Android phone to count every time they swiped, tapped, or touched their phone. They wanted to find out how much people were interacting with their smart device. Now, remember, if, if you tap a letter, that's, that's, a, that's a tap, all right? So if you send a text message, you might have 100 taps in, in one text message, all right? Here's what they found I was amazed. We are obsessed by our phones. The heaviest smartphone users swiped, tapped, or clicked their phone 5,427 times a day. That was the top 10%. You say, well, I, I, I'm not there. Here's the average, okay? The average person swiped, tapped, or clicked their phone 2,617 times a day, according to the software that was installed on them. Let me ask you a question. What do you think Bowling Green would be like if we were as committed to touching lives, to build relationships, as we were to touching our smartphone? Do you think Bowling Green would know that we are about authentic relationships? I believe they would. That's what we're called to do. We, we, we believe and value the priority of authentic relationships. Now, why this church? I've given you our four values. Let me give you some doctrinal distinctives, some things that, that we believe as a church family that not every church believes. In fact, not every Southern Baptist church believes. Number one, we believe the Bible is absolute truth with no mixture of error. Unapologetically, we believe that. This does not contain the Word of God. This is the Word of God. We believe that. That's why we want to impact people with biblical answers to life's challenges because it is absolute truth. My, if you come to me for counseling, what I share with you is not absolute. All right? because, I am, because I am not perfect, I, I'll give you imperfect counsel, but when you turn to the Word of God, it is absolute truth with no mixture of error. 
we believe in something called the Baptist faith and message. It's not a creed. It's just a confession of faith in what we believe generally as Baptist. There were three of them, 1925, 1963, and then 2000 was the last revision. If you were to read the Baptist faith and message 2000, which we affirm, in the, in the different, they have different beliefs, and one of them is about the Bible. And here's what, it, here's what it says about the Bible. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired. It is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. I was at the convention in 2000 when we voted on that. There was a lot of discussion about the various elements of the Baptist faith and message. And I'll never forget a young man by the name of Anthony Sizemore, pastor at First Baptist Church, Floyd Ada, Texas. I didn't even know there was a Floyd Ada, Texas until I went to the convention that year. And we were discussing this part of the Baptist faith and message on the Bible. And he went to the microphone, and part of what he said, and, and this is a direct quote, he said, the Bible is true and trustworthy, but it is just a book yeah that's the response he got friend this is not just a book a james patterson novel is not equal to the word of god a james patterson novel is a book this is the word of god all right and, and so that's why we we preach from it we teach from it because it is absolute truth with no mixture of error i remember pastoring in anderson south carolina as a young man i was 31 years old and the dr noble brown who was pastor at first baptist church anderson preached a message entitled five reasons the bible is not the literal word of god he preached that the next week half of the church left they split the other i don't know why the other half stayed in fact i think they all should have stayed and they should have got rid of dr noble brown that's what they should have done. A few years ago, the president of Mercer University, one of our Baptist colleges, he said, and I quote, that the death of Christ was not necessary for redemption. Thankfully, the Georgia Baptist Convention at the next annual meeting branded him a heretic because that is heresy. To say that, that Jesus Christ's death was not necessary for redemption is contrary to the word of God. I pastored near Carson Newman College for 10 years. Dr. Biddle, who was teaching there at the time, said that they didn't cross over the Red Sea, they crossed over the, reed, the Sea of Reeds. If so, that's an even greater miracle because he said it was about six inches of water. How did Pharaoh's entire army drown in six inches of water? Dr. Carolyn Blevins, who teaches at Carson Newman College. Or by the way, Dr. Biddle said salvation's not a miracle because I don't believe in miracles. Every time somebody gets saved, it's a miracle that God would extend enough grace to cover a multitude of sins. Dr. Carolyn Blevins said the concept of the Trinity is not in the Old Testament. So in Genesis 1.26, when God says, let us make man in our own image, he must have had a multiple personality disorder. The concept is there. You find it over and over again. One day in class, she prayed our Heavenly Mother. Now, does God have maternal attributes? Absolutely. He's loving, nurturing. But when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, our Father, which art in heaven. He didn't say our mother. She just wanted to mess with them. She said that interpretation of Scripture, whatever leaps out, you, leaps out at you from the passage is what you ought to believe. Well, now think about that. If that's true, I could make a case for suicide today. I could take you to the Word of God where it says Judas hung himself, and then I could take you to another place in the Word of God where it says go and do thou likewise and tell you, now you ought to go hang yourself. You'd say, well, 
that's not right. You're right, that's not right. But if you took it initially at its face value, that's what leaps out at you. You can't, you can't interpret Scripture that way. That is not a true handling of the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is absolute truth with no mixture of errors. A doctrinal distinctive number two, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus Christ plus or minus anything is what's necessary for salvation. You don't need anything extra. You don't need anything less. You can't have anything less. It's the only way that a person is saved. Number three, baptism by immersion is for the believer as a symbol of obedience. You could travel up the street here and they would tell you that baptism is necessary for salvation. If that's the case, why was Jesus baptized? He didn't need to be saved. He was baptized as an act of obedience to show us. See, baptism doesn't save you. It's a picture that you are already saved. When, when I take you up into the baptistry, it is a picture that the old you has died. And we've buried that old you and we have raised the new you. That that's what Jesus Christ has done in you. It's for the believer as a symbol and an act of obedience. Number four, we believe that every believer is a saint and a priest. Now, saint, you say, well, I'm no saint. Hear me, friend. We are a saint positionally. In other words, we have the righteousness of Christ. Now, we're not a saint in practice. We still sin. I don't know about you, but I do, all right, more than I want to. And, and so in practice, we're not a saint, but positionally, we are a saint. And when it says a priest, what did the priest do? The priest served God and served his fellow man, right? That's what we believe that a church member ought to do. Serve God and serve their fellow man. Serve the family of God. That, that's why we believe that we're saints and priests. There's only one mediator between God and man, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't pray through Tom James. You don't confess through Tom James. You have a hotline to God. It's a direct path. You don't have, it's not a third-party line. You just, I mean, you, you go directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Give you another doctrinal distinctive. The believer is eternally secure. Baptists like to say, once saved, always saved. I prefer to say, if saved, always saved. And the reason I say it that way is because we've had too many Baptists that 30 years ago walked down an aisle with tears in their eyes, slinging snot, filled out a card, got baptized, and have never darkened the door of the church since. And yet they're clinging to this idea that once saved, always saved. Friend, the Bible says you will know them by their fruit. And a tree that does not bear any fruit is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. All right? And so just because we have a membership does not prove that we are saved. And listen, you're eternally secure. It's not like some, some of these denominations talk about you can lose your salvation. It's not spiritual Russian roulette where, you know, you spin it and pull the trigger and hope the bullet doesn't go off. All right? Follow their theology if you can lose your salvation. You're driving down the road at 60 miles an hour and somebody pulls out in front of you at the last second and you say an expletive, boom, you hit him and you die. <laughs> You're lost. You needed to be saved again. Aren't you glad God doesn't operate that way? See, my salvation is not dependent upon me to keep because it was not dependent on, on me to get. The Lord saved me. It was all him. And because he saved me, he keeps me all him. I am eternally secure. Another doctrinal distinctive church government is congregational. 
there are three types of church government. There's the uh, Episcopal model, which is where you have bishops, and the bishops tell you when the pastor should come, when the pastor should leave, and they hand down this. We don't have bishops in, in we don't have hierarchy like that. There's also the Presbyterian model, which a lot of Baptist churches are embracing, which I don't believe is necessarily the biblical concept. And that's where you have elders. That's the Presbyterian model of church governance. And, and as best I understand the New Testament, there are two offices in the church. There's deacon and, and pastor teacher. And the elder is used interchangeable with pastor teacher. All right? It's not a separate office. And so the third form of church governance is congregational, and that's what we believe as a church family. Now, having identified these four values and some doctrinal distinctives, I'm going to tell you right up front, Eastwood may not be right for you. And if it is, again, I'm good with that. I just want you to be where God wants you to be. So let me tell you some reasons why this might not. I'm, complete transparency. Give you some reasons why this might not be the church for you. All right? If you're looking for the perfect church, Eastwood is not the church for you. If you find the perfect church, don't join it because it will become imperfect. Because there are no perfect people. You know what you will find at Eastwood? You're going to find exactly what you look for. If you want to find problems, you'll find them. If you want to find God, you'll find Him. You're going to find what you look for. All right? Number two, if you're opposed to being a multi-site church. This isn't the church for you. If, you. if you can't get your mind around the idea that we are one church in two locations today, then this isn't the place for you because we believe clearly that that's what God called us to do. He doesn't call every church to be multi-site, but he called us to be multi-site some five or six years ago, and we have embraced that. We're comfortable with his calling. A third reason this might not be the church for you is if, if you were... If you are going, if you plan to remain a spectator, this isn't the church for you. On a cruise ship, there are passengers and crew members. We believe that every child of God is called to be a crew member. We got way too many passengers and not enough crew members. All right, we got, we got people that are along for the ride, expecting everybody to serve them because we live in this entitlement society. We don't need more pew fillers. We've got those. We need vineyard laborers. We are a Christ-driven church, not a consumer-driven church. I've had people through the course of the years tell me this. Well, I'm going to go somewhere else because I'm just not being fed. If that's the case, take ownership of it and put the blame where it belongs at your feet. All right? My job is not to feed you. You are a big boy and a big girl. My job is to set the table, put the food out there, but it's up to you to eat. And so if you're not being fed, take ownership of it. All right? But, but if you're looking for this, this idea of entitlement, it's all, where it's all about you, this isn't the church for you. I'm just telling you that up front. Number four, if you're unwilling to follow pastoral leadership, this isn't the church for you. You know, not only are there crew and passengers but there's also sometimes pirates on ships you know what a pirate does a pirate tries to hijack the ship i remember we called will smith just a few months ago out at south campus to be the worship and youth pastor out there for that campus i remember in the question and answer thing and there, there was an older gentleman that was there and i don't know if he's a member or not he, he's, he's new if he is okay but he kept asking the same question he would change the wording but he kept asking the same question which basically was this what, kind, what style of music are you going to lead? 
if you become our worship pastor. Now, when we started South Campus, we started it with the intention of reaching people that are unchurched, church, uh, families with small children, with school-aged children. That was what we believe God called us to do. 25% of that part of the county is 14 years old or younger, and so we believe that, that in doing that, we're not going to stand and sing the first, second, and fourth verse of every hymn out there at South Campus. It's just not going to happen. And so what that gentleman was trying to do was trying to hijack the vision to where we would do what he wanted, not what we believe God had called us to do. And so if you're not willing to follow leadership, then this just isn't a place for you. Number five, uh, number five if you're going to be divisive over peripheral doctrines. A lot of folks have pet doctrines. I'll give you an example. Calvinism. All right? Now, I have strong feelings about about how a person's saved. I have strong feelings on how the Word of God, what the Word of God teaches. But Calvinists and non-Calvinists are Christians. All right, That is a peripheral issue. That is not something that ought to divide the family of God. We have members that believe in Calvinism. We have members that don't believe in Calvinism. And you know what? I'm good with that. Just don't make it an issue. If, if, if a peripheral issue is that important to you, then Eastwood's not the place for you. Now, we have some things that are non-negotiable, but peripheral issues are not listed in those. Number six, if you have a pet program that you can't live without, this isn't a place for you. We're in the process of evaluating every program we do as a church family. And we're basing our decisions on this. Does it help us in our mission? Does a program help us to develop relationships to impact people with biblical answers to life's challenges? If it does, great. And if it, doesn't help us in, if it doesn't help us fulfill our mission, why should we do it? We're just keeping you busy with busy work. We want to fulfill the mission that God's called us to. Number seven, if you're not concerned about your lost friends and family, this isn't a church for you. Let me tell you why. Because I'm going to constantly remind you that you need to be sharing your faith with those who you know that are lost. And it's going to become a broken record for you. If you have no concern about your friends and family that are lost, you're going to get tired of hearing it. So I'm telling you, you know, if you're not concerned about them, don't come here because you're going to hear it. All right? One more. And this is, this is personal to me. All right? If you're one that is going to complain about the amount of money that is being spent on taking the gospel overseas when there are lost people here in Bowling Green, this is not the church for you. Listen, friend, we spend the lion's share of God's money on reaching this community for Christ. We started South Campus. We built a building that cost over $4 million. Why? Because we want to reach our Jerusalem for Christ. But we will not apologize for asking people to sacrificially commit $2,500 or so to take the gospel on a mission trip overseas. That's who we are. And that is not the lion's share of money. Yes, we spend money and a good bit of money taking the gospel overseas. But friend, we are going where there are no gospel churches, where there is no gospel witness. There's hundreds of churches in Warren County. And so we'll not apologize for asking our people to pray for missions, to, to give to missions, and to go on missions. And, and if you're going to complain about that, this just isn't the place for you. So how about it? Is Eastwood the church for you? If so, we have an invitation, and that invitation is the time when you join. 
But you can't join the church, at least you shouldn't, unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We believe in, in regenerate membership, that you ought to be saved, you ought to be born again, all right? Now, we've got members that aren't born again, and we understand that, every church does, but it shouldn't be that way. And so that's the beginning place. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in a minute, and we have our invitation, it's, it's an invitation by God to you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then you become a member here or someplace else. But the invitation for you is to accept Christ. Others of you have already accepted Christ, and you know for a fact. You're sitting there thinking, man, I am so glad that this message was preached. I had one of our senior saints who's been a member here at Eastwood probably longer than I've been alive. I don't know the year she joined, but I'm, I'm pretty sure she was a member here longer than, than I've been alive. And she walked out the door this morning, and this is what she told me after the first service. She said, I wish somebody would have preached this to me 80 years ago. Because she wanted to hear what the church was about, and this is, this is who we are. And so if you resonate with that, this is the time for you to join the church. And if not, that's okay. I just want you to be where God wants you to be. Father, I pray that during this invitation that we would be responsive to your call upon our life. Father, I know the, the amount of time and prayer and study and, and brokenness and openness that went into developing what we believe you have called us to be as a church. God, I pray that we would be faithful. Lord, help us not to be the best Hillview or Living Hope or Woodburn. Help us to be the best Eastwood we can be. We don't, we don't need to be another one of them. That's why they exist. We just need to be who you've called us to be. And God, may we do that. May we fulfill your call upon our life as a church body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.